reproach against his neighbor. Amen? Philippians chapter number 2, starting with the 12th verse. Therefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Amen. Hallelujah. Put your hands together for the word. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you for each and every one underneath the sound of my voice, Lord God. 
those things that they pray to you about in private, Lord God. You said in your word, Lord God, that you would reward them openly, Lord God. And we want to say thank you for that today, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. Bless the shepherd of this house, Lord God. And all those things that he has before you, Lord God. We ask you to bless him on every hand, Lord God. As he leads your people on to glory, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Have your way this day, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.
take your place. Jesus, take your place. Let all the other names fade. Let all the other names fade away. Let the names fade. Let all the other names fade away. Till there's only you. Till there's only you. Let all the other names fade away. There's only you. Let all the other names fade away. Jesus, take your place. 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 Let all the other names fade away. Let all the other names fade away. you have 
morning. You can do so at this time from wherever you are and come and partake in the time and the offering unto the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless your name, O oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stretch forth your hands this way as we bless the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking and praising you for these your gifts, Lord, in your tithe and your offering, Lord God. We ask that you would bless the gifts, Lord God, as well as the giver, those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. pastor as he comes. How many is ready for the word of God? How many is ready for the word of God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That it might help us to not only be hearers of your word, but doers. Hallelujah. Receive our pastor as he comes. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. We truly give honor to God our life. We are so thankful to the Lord for each of you that have found your way out here today. For those that have tuned in or watching through our various media platforms, we're just so thankful for your presence, your time, and attention. Hallelujah. We don't take any of it for granted. Thank you, praise team. You did an awesome, awesome job leading us into worship. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that we ought to render honor to whom honor is due. I think that they did an awesome job. An awesome job. An awesome job. You could feel the presence of God. I could see God rising up off of his throne and coming down to inhabit the praises of his people, even as his word declares. For God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. Many of us woke up this morning, and some of us did not. On the morning of August the 5th, in the year 2010, 33 Chileans woke up and just went about the normal course of their day. These Chileans were miners. And they entered into their workplace, which was a mine that was 2,300 feet underground. It was a mine for which they would pull copper and gold out of just outside of a small town called Capiapo. On this particular morning of August 5th, 2010, as these 33 Chilean miners entered into this cave, a cave in took place and it confined these men in a dark place with no way out. Maybe some of you can relate. They were in a dark place with no way out. They were imprisoned in seemingly impenetrable surroundings, concealed by a fortress of rock. 
For a period of more than two weeks, rescuers heard nothing at all from these miners who were trapped. It's bad enough to be in a pit, but it's even worse when you can't get out and you don't even see anyone who can help you out. These men couldn't help each other out of this pit. They were stuck in this pit together. They were stuck there sitting, sleeping, hungry and cold and without hope. They were helpless and they were desperate. Because if somebody was going to save them, that help would have to come from above. They were 2,300 feet beneath the earth's surface. After 17 days, the rescuers that had been working to find these miners found a note that had been taped on one of the drill bits that the miners had used to try to get themselves out. And that note simply said, we are alive. So the rescuers began to drill, and they drilled a larger hole down through the earth, and into that hole they did insert a small tube which would provide the miners with food and water, some light, some medicine, and some means of communication. Now understand, that hole did not deliver them, but that hole gave them hope. Perhaps some of you today find yourself in similar circumstances. Life is caved in on you spiritually, financially, relationally, emotionally, medically, and you see no way out. You feel like the trapped miners. Uh, You aren't even sure if anyone above you even knows who you are or cares about your plight. We've been talking about the names of God and the meaning behind the names and the purpose for which God has so many names. And I've come to realize that every one of his names truly declares the same thing. And that thing is, I am everything you need. Now, knowing the names of God doesn't automatically or immediately change life's negative realities. As a matter of fact, Christians still face the same troubles as everyone else does. If you read your Bible, you would stumble across John, the 16th chapter, and the 33rd verse, and it would share with you that we are not immune from the negativity that is in life. But knowing God intimately through his names does provide sustaining hope even in our darkest moments. You see, hope comes through the knowledge that God is true to his name. And because he's true to his name, he is aware of our plight. He's working in our behalf, and he's working for our good. No matter how dark our situation may be, we don't have to throw in the towel because God is faithful to his name. He will sustain us until he either changes our situation in history or he delivers us into eternity. These miners were finally freed when a two-foot-wide K-9 
capsule called the Phoenix lifted them one by one from their prison. All 33 men were saved. And after they had been set free, one of the trap miners said that they gathered as a group in the pit and they called on God to rescue them. They appealed to his name and the character that was attached to it. He is everything that I need. You don't have to be trapped 2,300 feet underground to find yourself in a hopeless situation. The citizens of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah found themselves without food and supplies just as the Chilean miners did when they were in their pit. An evil king named Chedorlaomer, uh, king of Elam, and three other power-hungry kings faced off against five other kings who were seeking to defend their livelihood, countrymen, and homes. Now, two of the five defending kings represented the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They waged war in the valley of Siddim, which was riddled with tar pits. And as the battle escalates, the five defensive kings began to retreat. The two from Sodom and Gomorrah fell into the tar pits. The people were taken captive and all their possessions were confiscated. Now, Abram's nephew, Lot, was one of the prisoners. And scripture wastes no time in highlighting Abram's courageous rescue mission. Let's read the word of God in Genesis, the 14th chapter, starting at the 14th verse. Genesis 14, starting at 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions, and also the women and the people. You see, Abram was making a declaration. He was making it clear that no one was to mess with his people. So he rounded up the best men he could find, and he took on the responsibility to fight the battle and quickly recover everything that had been stolen during the war. And with 318 trained men, he chased down the enemy a full 240 miles without a vehicle. Whatever it took to get back what had been wrongfully stolen, Abram did it. Even though the odds were against him, just as the odds were against the Chilean miners trapped underground, Abram held out hope of recovering it all. You see, the story of this battle, this defeat, and the rescue serves as the backdrop for the name of God that I want to close this series out with, something that we talked about uh, in the beginning of this series that I introduced to us in the chapter of Genesis. 
after the king of Sodom had been released from the consortium of armies that had attacked, he came to Abram in a place called the King's Valley. He brought with him another king, and that king's name was Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Transliterated, the name Salem aligns with the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. A derivative of shalom is shalom, which means complete, sound, or content. In fact, most Jewish commentators concur that Salem is Jerusalem, the city of peace. Now, this king of peace brought bread and wine to Abram. He came as the priest of El Elyon, God the Most High, and he blessed Abram. This is in verse 18. It declares, blessed be Abram of God Most High, El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, to this, in verse 22, it declares, Abram replied and acknowledged God or El Elyon by saying, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So when we look at the meaning of the name El Elyon, we need to remember that El is the abbreviated form of Elohim. And Elohim is the name that is given to God in creation, which connects us to his power. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. When El is com uh, combined with El Elyon, the compound connection refers to God as the highest or the most. It's literally translated as the most exalted high God. So what exactly causes the introduction of this name of God as one who is higher than anyone else? Well, a battle of nine human kings, four against five. The kings most likely thought that they were each rather high in stature. And in the world's definitions of significance and power and might, they actually were. But when God got into the fight, when El Elyon stepped into the ring, 318 men who traveled 240 miles by foot were able to take back what every oppressor had stolen. And this is because when God enters the fight, let me say it again. When God enters the fight, when God enters the fight, he truly is the most high, not only of heaven, not only of earth, but of all. This is really important to us. This is significant because we likely are the people or will deal with people in our life who are sitting in high places. And perhaps those high up places in worldly position, uh, maybe they have a higher rank than you, or it could be that they have high, that they are higher in the amount of money or possessions that they, that they have than you, or they could have more recognition or more authority or perceived influence than you have. Yet, what I want you to remember is that no matter how high they are, El Elyon, your God, is still 
empire. El Elyon is the maker of heaven and earth. And people who appear to be higher than you are users of heaven and earth. They don't call the shots. They don't have the final say. No one is higher than El Elyon. He puts everyone in their proper place. When people or powers seek to intimidate you, your recourse is to call on the name El Elyon. Know that there is always someone higher, stronger, and more influential than them. No circumstance intimidates him. Not the tar pits of Genesis 14, not the mind of Copiapo. Knowing the name El Elyon and what it means helps you to understand that you're never to elevate people, elevate places, or elevate circumstances above their appropriate level. No one but God is to be your final court of appeals. He is the one who has the final say-so. Man may have a say, your boss, the doctor, your kids, your spouse, your banker, but El Elyon has the final say. El Elyon means that God has the right to overrule. In Abram and Lot's case, God used 318 men to overpower a collection of kings and all their armies. The numbers weren't in Abram's favor. Neither were the circumstances. Yet 318 men plus one El Elyon is more than enough to defeat humanity's biggest armies because El Elyon is the God who is most high over heaven and earth. Let me just tell you, stop looking at the odds that are against you. One of the things that used to make me laugh about Star Trek was every episode they were in some dilemma. As a matter of fact, that they beamed down to a planet and uh, somebody was wearing a red shirt, we knew that they were not going to make it much longer. And one of the things that Spock would do, because Spock was the logical one of the group, he would always begin to tell Captain Kirk what the odds were of success to get out of their dilemma. And Kirk would always tell Spock, don't tell me the odds. You see, Kirk was the one that didn't believe in the no-win scenario. Kirk was the one that didn't believe in what the odds said. Kirk always recognized that there was an opportunity to do what needed to be done, and he was going to figure out how to do it. Cock, or Spock would start to try to tell him what the odds were, and he'd say, ah, I don't want to hear the odds. You see, the odds don't give you the final story. You have to stop focusing on the size of your problem and focus on the size of your God. David only had five smooth stones as he needed only one of those five to defeat the giant that stood before him. Abram had 318 men going up against four kings and their adrenaline high victory shouting armies. But he also had El Elyon, which is more than enough to win any battle. Why? Because God is everything that I need. Now let me tell you, you should respect your boss. 
You should respect your mate. You should respect the circumstances. You should respect the banker. You should respect the doctor. You should respect the lawyer. But you are never to view them as El Elyon because they do not possess heaven and earth. When you lift someone else or some other situation higher than God, you create an idol of that thing. An idol isn't just a carved object that is worshipped with candles and burning of incense. An idol is anything that you elevate above the one true God. Now, Abram's intrinsic understanding of God's character, his holiness and his might is illustrated at the end of the story. Following Melchizedek's blessing and Abram's response, he gave Melchizedek a tenth, which is where we get the tithe. It's a revealing verbal exchange that occurs between the king of Sodom and Abram. And the Bible declares, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me, and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you would say I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their share. Hallelujah. That's Genesis, still the 14th chapter, 21st through the 24th verse. So now the king of Sodom, he, he makes a rule that one of the uh, nations that Abram had delivered, he ruled over that nation. And the king was pleased that Abram rescued them. And he was impressed by Abram's tenacity and his prowess. Knowing Abram was a force with which to be reckoned, he wanted to strike a deal. So he asked Abram to give him the people that he had recovered, and in exchange for that, Abram could keep everything else. He and his men could profit from the rescue. Now there's a problem. The first problem with this pitch is that the king of Sodom had somehow forgotten that the king of Sodom lost the battle himself. He had forgotten that he had been captured by a consortium of kings. So when Abram delivered him, he sought to make a deal to split the victory down the middle when the victory didn't belong to the king of Sodom at all. Abram had just rescued the king and his people, and he didn't think that this was a time for negotiation. He knew the king wanted the credit. He knew the king wanted to, par to parade the captured people back into his city so he could claim them as servants and slaves. Abram knew this king wanted some of the glory that belonged to God all by himself. And scripture declares in Isaiah 42 and 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. 
Yet that is exactly what Satan often tries to get us to do. He tries to cut a deal with you just like the king of Sodom went to cut a deal with Abram. You see, they read the book on the best deal and they were trying to work its principles. And in this deal, he entices you with a piece of God's glory. God's victories turned into, into a joint venture or a partnership in which we all share the credit. So Adam or Abram was adamant against the king of Sodom stealing any of God's glory. And he told him that he wouldn't even take a thread or a sandal thong just so that the king would never be able to claim that he contributed in any way to the success that Abram had just secured. You see, it was God that won the battle. It was El Elyon who should receive the praise that was due him. And unlike the king of Sodom, the king of Salem understood who had won the battle for Abram. Now, as we see uh, in Scripture, uh, his blessing to Abram, he made the point perfectly clear in Genesis 14 and 20 when he said, And blessed be God most high, El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. You see, Melchizedek was more than just a king, he was also a priest. And a priest's job is to stand between God and the people and be the point of communication from God to the people and from the people back to God. The priest is the in-between person or the mediator. As both priest and king, Melchizedek makes it clear that the 318 trained men who traveled more, more than 240 miles weren't the ones who turned defeat into victory. They were not the source of deliverance at all. They were the, they, however, they were the resource of the deliverance. They were not the source of the deliverance. They were the resource of the deliverance. You see, there's a difference between the two, and it's enormous. You see, too few Christians truly grasp the truth and live this truth out in their daily lives. The principle that scripture is trying to give us is the source versus the resource. So this comes to me in the study of the names of God as I was researching it. It was as if something fell into place. God enlightened my understanding even as my wife and I are going through some difficult times. It caused me to recognize how I was seeing my own trouble. You see, my level of worry and my planning are in the process of change as I revolt against my own humanity and the mindset that comes with the human course of thinking. If you will fully, truly grasp this truth, it will cause everything for you. It will change everything for you. God is your source and everything else is just a resource. God is your everything and everything else is just a resource. 
You see, Melchizedek, he underscores this when he points out that Abram conquered his enemies because God, or El Elyon, had delivered the enemy into his hands. And El Elyon could deliver them into Abram's hands because of his name, the Most High God, over all the heaven and the earth. So the kings who were causing Abram and his relatives trouble were kings of the earth. His problem was an earthly situation. El Elyon is the owner of both heaven and earth. This is why 318 trained men can look like and act like 30,000 trained men in a battle against four kings and their armies. They can do so when they're accompanied by El Elyon. I'm a visual type of person, and as I was studying this, I was visualizing the battle that had to take place. These armies that were pitted against the kings, they came in and they captured everything. And I could see the 318 men that were with Abram. They were on their way, pressing across the field. And the angel of the Lord said, hold up, I got this. And I'm running to go take out this soldier. And the angel of the Lord says, hold up, I got this. I can see that every time one of the 318 men tried to engage in conflict, the angel of the Lord just came in with the sword of the spirit and did what only God can do, brought order in the midst of chaos. You see, this principle is simple. You only have one Source. And one of the worst things that you or I could ever do is treat a resource as if it were a source. This building is a resource, it is not the source. God is the owner, the most high over all. He is the possessor of everything that is. He is the source. Everything is merely a resource at his disposal. That means that whatever resource in your life is messing with you, that resource doesn't have the last word. You see, God can find another resource through which to bless you. He has more than one way to accomplish his purpose in your life. He has plans for you, and those plans are to prosper you. If you begin to understand the power of El Elyon, it it becomes a freeing experience. Let me give you an example. I used to be a member of the York Golf Club. Many of you know I I love golf. And for a period of time, the club was under renovation because of construction that was taking place on Route 23. And I'd have to drive through all of the construction to get there to make my tea time. But traffic caused by the construction was causing an issue with being there on time. And there appears to be no way to go because all the cars would block the entrance. Now, situations and circumstances in life can have a similar effect. They seem to block your progress. 
and you can't feel or you can feel stalled on the path to your destiny because of the roadblocks that get in the way. However, because I had been going to the York Golf Club for a period of time, I understood that there was another route that I could take. I just take a different route to get there. You see, I found in life that there is more way to my destiny than just the one way I've settled in. I don't have to take Route 23 to get to York. Route 23 is just one resource on my pathway. It's not the only resource. God has multiple options for getting you to your destiny, even when things or situations or people are standing in your way. You got to understand, people of God, no one can truly block you from God's plan. No scenario can truly stop you. Not when you're paired up with El Elyon. You see, he knows the right path that you can take. And he knows what you need to do. He knows the right path. Uh, and if you will but turn your eyes on him and get them off of your problems that are standing in front of you, you will see that that resource was just one in many resources. A resource is merely the means that God uses to provide whatever you need or do whatever he wants to do through you. With Abram... It was 318 men. With Gideon, it was 300 men. You see, God has many resources. He's not tied to our finite understanding of the odds. When El Elyon is your source, anything that's blocking you is not your only resource. It may be the only resource that you can see. It may be the only resource that you have ever used. But it is not your only resource. You may look at your resources and conclude they're not enough to overcome your situation that you're facing. But the possessor of heaven and earth can use your mustard seed faith to move the mountain that stands before you. As long as you think what you're seeing dictates your destiny, then that which you can see becomes your idol. It becomes your most high. Even your job isn't your source nor is your boss your source. If you get a pink slip, if things don't work out as you had planned, if you don't get that promotion you thought was yours, God has a myriad of ways to provide for you, to open doors for you, to lead you in the path of success in your life. When you understand that he is your ultimate source, you don't need to fear what mankind can say because mankind does not have have the final word. When Abram recognized that God was the one who had delivered him and brought him the victory, Abram says in Genesis 14 and 20, the word declares he gave Melchizedek a tenth of all. This was before the commandment of the tithe had ever been given. Yet Abram instinctively gave a tenth as a visible, physical recognition that El Elyon owned it all. You see, Abram responded this way because he had been blessed. 
The tithe was his response to all that God had already done. And one of the reasons people seem to struggle with tithing is that they don't recognize or understand what tithing truly means. To tithe is to demonstrate to God that he owns you, that you want him to own you, to be responsible for you. It's an acknowledgement that God is your source and not the resource that has been providing your finance. Uh Now, on June 11th, 1963, Governor George Wallace and his police force stood on the steps of the University of Alabama to prevent two black students from entering. But the federal courts had already decided in the students' favor. Deputy U.S. Attorney General Nicholas Katzenbach and federal marshals arrived with the message, Mr. Governor, step aside. Wallace replied vehemently that he wasn't about to go anywhere. The National Guard stepped in, explaining that he could voluntarily move out of the way or they could forcibly move him out of the way. And when those instructions had become crystal clear, Wallace and his men backed down. You see, Wallace held the highest position in the state of Alabama. However, the federal court was still higher and it could overrule Wallace's decision. This higher authority opened the doors for not only these two black students, but also for the integration that ultimately spread across the college campuses in our country. Now that's a practical example of how even those who are considered high up must adjust when an even higher authority makes a decision. When heaven decides to move, everyone else needs to adjust. When heaven decides to move, everyone else needs to get out the way. When heaven decides to move, when heaven decides to move, that the Bible tells me that I can move heaven to move things for me because whatsoever I bind in the earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever I loose in the earth is loosed in heaven. When heaven decides to move, everyone and everything else needs to adjust. When El Elyon lays down a decision, it doesn't matter what anyone's title is. God will see his decision through. He will make a way where there seems to be no way from a human point of view. Let me move to my clothes and get out your way. I started this sermon today talking about 33 Chilean miners who had been trapped 2,300 feet beneath the ground. They found themselves in a hopeless situation in which their circumstances and the rocks that were caving in around them seemed to dictate the outcome. Yet when help came from above, each of these men were lifted to safety through a metal transport system called the Phoenix. Now, the phoenix was named after a mythical bird-like creature that was said to have died and then been resurrected out of its own ashes. Lifting the miners out of the belly of the earth is about as close to a resurrection as humanity can muster. 
Yet 2,000 years ago, a true resurrection occurred out of a silent rock that held a lifeless body in a cold, sealed cave. He had died after only 33 years on the earth, crucified on a cross for a crime he did not commit. But death couldn't keep him in the ground. El Elyon himself raised Jesus up in order to give each of us an opportunity to receive eternal life. Because of his resurrection out of a hopeless situation, we have hope. Because of his life, we now have life. Even hell, death, and the grave cannot hold you when El Elyon makes a decision. The Hebrews tells us even more about the role that Jesus plays in bringing us to the Father. Hebrews 5, 9 through 10 declares, having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh So what is this order of Melchizedek? Well, a few chapters later, we're given insight into this man they called the king of Salem. This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first all by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. With, fa- with father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Hebrews 7, 1 through D, through 3. Now, many people believe that Melchizedek was a theophany in the Old Testament, a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. After all, his name meant king of righteousness and king of peace. And he was also a priest of the most high God. He had neither mother nor father, but was made like the son of God. And Jesus Christ, according to the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ is to us with what Melchizedek was to Abraham. He's our king of righteousness, our king of peace, and our priest who mediates or stands between us and God the Father. If your boss fires you, if your circumstance says you will always be in debt, if you wonder if you'll ever be, if you ever find a mate, or if you're just going to remain single, remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. He can bring peace despite your desperate situation. He can bring hope despite your challenges. He can remind you that El Elyon doesn't need a lot to do a lot. That he can deliver your enemy into your hands. As a matter of fact, El Elyon can take your nothing and make everything out of it. But you have a part to play. Just like Abraham, you need to align yourself underneath God's standard. You need to follow God's SOP, standard operating procedure, Uh by his authority and giving him the glory that is due his name. 
you need to always remember that you have one source. And he, according to Ephesians 3 and 20, is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. After all, he is the most high and mighty God, the possessor of heaven and earth. When I go through the, to the drive through at McDonald's, they ask me all the time, do I want to supersize my order? As you can see, I've often said yes. They want to know if I want more than just a regular serving. Ah, saints of God, I'm here to tell you. God wants to know whether you, you simply want to settle for the regular life or do you want a supersized experience with him? El Elyon is God supersized in your life. He wants to know, do you want a supersized experience or do you just want the humdrum, everyday, boring existence where you accomplish nothing. You do a whole lot to get nowhere. God wants you to know he can take you and make you and break everything that's standing against you because he is El El Yon, the most high God. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter who's standing against you. It doesn't matter what title comes before their name or all the little letters with periods and commas and what not after. God has the final say. God has the final say. God. God. Everything that you face, God has the final say. No man or woman in any position of authority has more authority than God. And I've seen God move people out of the way so that his will could be done. I've seen God do it. I know he can do it. But will you trust him to do it? Lean not to thy own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Why? Because he is El Elyon. He is my everything. We are in a season of great change where it seems like we don't really fully understand or know what's next. In my time of prayer, when I talk to God, I tell God, I don't know what's next. I don't even know what needs to be done. But here I am, Lord. Use me in whatever way you can use me to bring about your purpose, to bring about your plan. Fill me. If I'm on a need-to-know basis, Father, then let me know when I need to know. 
You see, sometimes I think I need to know before I really need to know. Because if I knew, I wouldn't know how to act. Just imagine if you have a problem with your boss, but you know your boss is getting ready to get fired. You're going to act just slightly different with your boss than if you thought your boss had a solidified position that was going to stay. You, you might show just a little bit more respect because you want to hold your position. But if you knew he or she was getting ready to get the axe, mm -hmm. if we're going to be real, you can't say nothing to me. You out the door. The problem is, is what we don't realize is he may be or she may be out the door tomorrow, but she's or he's still in position today. And sometimes when God is moving, we don't see what he's doing because if we saw what he was doing, we would mess up his plan because can't none of us keep a secret. As soon as they say something off the wall to you, oh, you get ready to get fired. Get out of here. And they say, if I'm going tomorrow, you can pack up because you're going today. People of God, if God is truly our everything, if he's not just a resource that we go to in time of need, but we understand that he is the source from which every resource derives, when one resource dries up, you don't get flustered because you know there's another resource for you. And I say this in all honesty. We know the financial situation with the ministry. We know that the ministry is struggling to maintain this building, which is why we're into the situation that we're in where we have to sell the building. But this is what I know about God. I started this ministry in my living room, preaching to my wife and my two baby boys. And my sister moved into town because she follows me everywhere I go. <laughs> and she came across, the, she settled into a house across from ours, and then she started coming over across the street, her and her kids. And before you knew it, the ministry started to grow. And we moved from a living room to a rented room. And God blessed us and we grew. We moved from that room because we overgrew it to this house. And there were times when this place for a season was completely packed. So we had to redesign the entire inside just to fit the people that had come. Now we are where we are, and the enemy would have us to believe that this is the end. But our crisis does not have the final say. It doesn't have the final say. I believe and trust God that whatever is next for us 
is supersized from this. I know that I just keep it real. I call, as they say, a spade a spade. When you're wrong, you're wrong. And I, I'm just not one to tell you that you're right because I'm afraid you won't be my friend no more. Because I believe that if I'm a true friend, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong and help you get right. You see, a true friend, I'm not going to beat you up. I'm going to do this in love. But see, some people take everything that you say into some level of contradiction that you're judging them. Don't, don't judge me. There's this idea that we're not supposed to judge each other. The devil is a liar. You're taking the word of God out of context. We are judges. Don't you know we're going to judge with God? You see, if we actually read the Bible, we might really fully understand what the Bible says. How can I restore you if I can't judge the sin in, it's the, the sin in your life? The Bible says you which are spiritual restore one that is overcome in sin. But if I start restoring you, you get mad and you run away. And I chase you and I chase you, but I'm getting old. I can't chase you too far anymore. And everyone knows. People leave, they go, they do their own thing. Some people do things out of season. Some people just go and just stop coming to any church. I've had people that before they left told me that they were going to leave, and I gave them recommendations of churches to go to because my desire and hope is that they remain in the family of God. I don't care what house they go to. The only thing that really matters is the name of God over the door of their heart. But I know what God showed me. And I know sometimes when a shaking comes, only that which is unshakable remains. And I believe that God sometimes allows us to endure situations and crises so that we understand it was not how grand we were. It was always him. It was not the beauty of our praise team, because hands down, I think that they're the best. It, it definitely in the city of Columbus, most definitely in the state of Ohio, and I'd put them up against any megachurch. I'm being real, because I know the life that they live. You see, I've seen artists who have talents, but they have no anointing. They sound good, but they don't move me. You see, I'm moved when the Spirit of God enters into the worship. I'm moved when the singer sings, not because they're trying to hit notes, but because they're captured by the presence of God. It helps you to be captured as well. If we're going to be real, Do we trust God? Is God K 
capable to do what he said he would do. Wherever you are at in your life, wherever God has placed you, you may be facing something in your specific location where you're questioning the validity of your position in that place. Let me tell you this. God said, I put you there. Man did not put you there. I put you there. And I put you there because I have a plan for you. There is purpose to your position. There is purpose to your position. And as you focus on God in the place where he has planted you and stop focusing on every negative thing that is attacking your position, trying to distract you from the purpose and plan of God because as long as I'm looking at the distraction, I cannot see what God is doing. And I need to keep my eyes focused on Jesus or else I'll be like Peter and walk on water and just sink. But the moment I stay focused on Jesus and ignore the distractions, ignore the naysayers, Ignore the quitters. Ignore those who have turned against me. Ignore those who ran out. Ignore everything that was said against me when I focus on Jesus. We'll be where God wants us to be. And his glory will shine bright. And that's when your enemy will say, what the what? They're supposed to be defeated. Let me just use you as an example. And I know I said I'm closing, but I promise this will be the last thing. But let me just use Jocelyn. I, I, you know, I, I love Jocelyn. In the beginning of her pregnancy, she was going through some stuff. Some stuff to the point where she didn't want to even tell people that she was pregnant. Am I lying? Because it would be easier if only I know I'm pregnant and it doesn't work out. And I don't have to hear people come up to me and say, oh, what happened? Are you okay? I'm praying for you. And I would talk to her, and I would encourage her, and I would tell her it's going to be all right. And then she would get a report. This is going on. That's going on. It's this issue. It's that issue. And I make sure that I follow up. Because I'm the intermediary. I'm her priest. And I want her to know that regardless of what the doctors say, 
She's carrying the anointing of God. And when you're carrying the anointing of God, nothing can abort the anointing. So don't worry about it. The doctors say there might be struggle, there might be travail. Don't worry about it. Don't be distracted because the doctors have not the final say. And here she is, struggling to breathe. Looked like she got a whole basketball team in there. A month or so away from giving birth to what initially the doctors were questioning whether she would get this far. But I told her, don't you ever doubt. Because God, God has the final say. God has the final say. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning. And I'll be so excited to see my great nephew, Landon, when he comes out. It'll be just a joy, because he's going to look like us. Because we have strong genes. Praise the Lord. But life will always throw you curveballs. But you know, a curveball can be hit. And you can hit a grand slam on a curveball. There's no pitch that cannot be hit. When you stop focusing on it, focus on Jesus. Let him supersize your life. Let him move people out the way. Let him do what God does. I tell God every day, you do you. I'm just a spectator. See, some of you want to drive. I don't want to drive. I want to ride. Take the wheel, sweet Jesus. Take the wheel. I have no problem riding. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's rest to our feet. I know I went a little longer than usual today, but I really feel that God wanted you to hear everything that was said. Let it be an encouragement to you that no matter what you're facing in life, God has got your back. God has your back. And you are where you are, not by accident, but on purpose. And everything you've endured in your life has prepared you for what is next. God has allowed you the success of your history because you're still here so that you can see your future in your here and now because it's all in Jesus. Let's look to the Lord Father in the name of Jesus. 
we bow our heads before you in submission to you as Lord over our life. Lord over our all, the source of all that is. You are, Lord, our everything. Many of us in here and those that have tuned in and are listening are dealing with tremendous, seemingly undefeatable situations. They don't know no way out. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that right where they are, in the darkest place, the coldest night, you minister your sweet grace to them, meeting them at the point of their need, doing your God thing. Father, I thank you by faith for victory. I thank you for victory by faith because you have the final say. I thank you for victory in the life of Haley. I thank you for victory in the life of Noah. I thank you for victory in the life of Maria. I thank you for victory in the life of everyone under the sound of my voice. I thank you for victory for the coming to life of Landon. Because I have peace in you. And I know that everything is well in your hands. Father, help us to align our thinking and our sight to be like yours. To deny the foolish finite things of our human existence and remain focused on your infinite wisdom and a love for which we cannot even fully grasp because you love us even when we are unlovable. And for that I say thank you. You know me at the worst of me and you did not leave me for that I said thank you have mercy father each person under the sound of my voice whom you have positioned in whatever position or place of authority in whatever uh, work that they may do father use them for your glory let your glory surround them remove out of the way every stumbling block that's keeping them from moving Show them, fill them with your wisdom and your direction, clarity and understanding of what your plan is in this moment that they might run with your vision as you have made it plain. Use them, Father. It is in the last day that you're pouring your spirit out upon all flesh. Father, now in the name of Jesus, let your spirit be renewed in us. Use us for your glory. We thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come together. And in thine authority, I speak prosperity, healing, and peace over everyone under the sound of my voice. 
devil, the Lord rebuke you. Every principality, every power, every ruler of darkness, all wickedness in high places, the Lord rebuke you. In the name of Jesus, I bind your work here in the earth, in the lives of God's people, and I loose God's prosperity, God's peace, God's joy. I loose it into the life of the body of Christ even now. That your glory might shine great and brightly through each and every one of us. Father, take us into the remainder of this week. Use us at every opportunity to share your love and your truth. Let us not shy from it, but let us be bold. We thank you, Father, for whatever is next. Over this ministry, Father, I know that this is what you have crafted. It was not built by me. It was built by you. And I know that as we traverse the path you've laid before us, we will arrive at a new destination and celebrate your glory. But our celebration will not wait until we get there. Because I believe my victory has already been assured. So, Father, I celebrate now. I don't wait until the battle is over, but I shout right now. Hallelujah for your grace. Hallelujah. And I say thank you in the name of Jesus. Bless your people and keep them. It is in the name of our Lord we pray. Amen. Consider yourself dismissed. Know that I love you and that I'm praying for each and every one of you.